Welcome to Cross Culture-ish. The podcast where nerdy traveler friends talk about everyday cultural experiences. We're learning a lot and want to learn with you. This process is fun and sometimes it's funny. So why not record it? And we're back with another episode of Cross Culturish. Today we're tackling a touchy subject. Maybe you've seen it in the news. A new movie came out, the movie Mulan. Maybe you haven't seen it because you've joined the ranks of hashtag boycott Mulan. Today I'm going to host, my name's David, if you haven't become familiar with my voice yet, to you fine listeners out there. Let me remind you of my friends that are here today. Aaliyah, would you like to say hello? Hi there. Sarah, would you like to say hello? Hello. Lauren, you're next. Hi. Marcos, anything to say? (laughs) Well, hello, my friends. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) So this is the Mulan episode. We're going to talk about the movie, but not that much because we don't want to be a film review podcast, right? That's That's true. Let's start where we like to start with our weekly segments. Marcos, hit us with the obsession jingle, please. Our weekly obsession. Oh, that was much more uh, falsetto than usual. Yeah, you know, trying to mix up. things up a little bit. Yeah, I think I'm just going to, you know, as a, as a, as a shout out, um, I think that if we do have indeed a listener base, if anyone wants to submit a jingle uh, or anyone's an artist and wants to submit something for our jingles, for our segments, uh, please do uh, mm. check out, at, contact us at crossculturish.com. Who's obsessed with something new? I am obsessed with something and it's not new. But I think that's what makes it an even better obsession is that it's ongoing. My current obsession, or David, would it be appropriate to say our obsession? I think it's a team effort, yeah. Our recent obsession is that of a a little bit of a food crawl. I don't know if y'all have become familiar with this concept of a food crawl. This might be my first ever. David and I used to live in Northwest Mexico, and so we, in that time, grew quite accustomed to eating delicious tacos. And since we now find ourselves living in the Northeast of the United States of America, we have- Mid-Atlantic. Oh, not really eat? We're not the North? Okay. I mean, Depends on who you ask. a stretch. Eastern. You're like Eastern seaboard. Okay, all you New Yorkers are like, oh, a little bit of a stretch. We don't want to claim you. Northeast is like New England. So we live in the South. We live, I'm just kidding. We live in the Mid-Atlantic area, region of the United States of America. And we have recently started a taco crawl, if you will. So David has researched and found lots of different taco stands or taco restaurants or Mexican food restaurants that are near us that serve tacos. And for the last couple of weeks, we have been hopping from place to place, eating our way through the DMV taco offerings. We've already visited two different places. DMV, like the oh, Department of Motor Vehicles? Yeah. The, we are called DMV, the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia metro area, like DMV. Some call it the National Capital Region. I figured that's what it was. We we say the tri-state. I know. The tri-state up here. Well, since we're not a part of the Northeast, we call it the DMV. (laughs) 
<laughs> the DMV. So yeah, that's been really fun. We've had, I think, David, you can chime in here, but I think we have found something that we can appreciate from the two places that we've tried. And we have a long list of more places to venture to. So that's been fun. It actually kind of coincides with another recent obsession of ours, and that's thrift store shopping. Do you guys like thrift store shopping? That's a culture clash. That was a thing when I lived in Nebraska, but not really a thing in New Jersey. People are usually for it or very much against it. Like, I think it, it's really against a house divided it. in a lot of Why ways. Why would you be against it? You can find such great deals. Some people are grossed out by it. Like, mm, some people just can't even think about wearing someone, someone else's, else's clothes. Someone else's underwear. Oh. Well, I mean, I don't know if I would buy underwear at the thrift store. <laughs> they have it. No, they, they do it. sell I it. it. <laughs> last time we were at the thrift store. Yeah, swimsuits is probably where I draw the line. I'm not really perusing in that section personally, but <laughs> I love thrift stores. Have you ever been thrift store shopping, Lauren? Not really. Once or twice, but... What? Yeah. Never? Never. Oh, girl, I'll take you next time we're uh, in the tri-state. <laughs> it's okay. the best. They don't even have good thrift stores here. That's the problem. Or, sorry, there in the tri-state area. I remember really? when I lived there, not very good places. There's a Goodwill not too far from where I went to high school. I don't didn't have really good stuff. Though the Goodwill <laughs> and Chelsea, real great. Just well, saying. I figured, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> everyone that lives in Chelsea is just donating their I clothes know, that's to the what Goodwill. I'm saying. It's like, great. Well, then yeah. you need to be going right now because everyone's been Marie Kondoing during COVID, so they're getting True. rid of tons no. of stuff. The pickings are fresh right now, my friends. You got to get out there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we're going to go to America's favorite segment, Culture Clash. Culture Clash! Marcos, did you have a culture clash that you I did, actually. To, uh... It was, I don't know if you've all seen the new show that's come out on Netflix, a new documentary, The Social Dilemma. And so it's cultural in a sense, but it's how like social media talks about how social media kind of creates these echo chambers. And like the goal of social media is really to get eyes on the platform, right? And so therefore, the lengths that they go to in order to get you engaged. But that actually has been creating certain culture. And it seems like for me in the Northeast, that like, the news have a certain refrain that are bent to a particular perspective or the common commentaries are bent toward a particular perspective. Working with New York City education, it's bent towards a particular perspective. And I mentioned sending something to someone being like, yeah, I feel like my news feed is filled with this type of post. And they were like, well, I feel like my news feed is filled with this exactly opposite type of post. And for me, it felt so foreign where I was like, wait, wait, how can you even say that? Like literally every newsfeed on my, and, and actually I think that I'm, I'm personally a centrist. So I feel like I get, I have friends that land on both sides of the aisle, but the stark difference of the news that we were consuming was definitely like a clash and how that has created different cultures that are clashing. And I'm just going to plug the documentary. It's great. It's a great explanation for why we are continue to be polarized, but it was one of those like, whoa, 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 whoa. We clearly are almost living in different countries where there's completely different news sources and news media outlets that we're listening to. And so that was my culture clash. I think something to keep in mind, too, as we consume information that there's platforms that actually have a vested interest in getting a rise out of you and therefore might want to show you a particular tie. <laughs> because yeah. if, you, if you're upset, then you're engaging more and you have more eyeballs. So... <laughs> That was interesting. Marcos, thank you. Anyone else? It's been a mostly clashless couple of weeks. Probably not, but that's just the ones we're going to talk about right now. Yeah. Let's jump into the big one. There's clashes in the big one, okay? So, Mulan, did you guys ask me to be the host of this episode because I am the resident Asian American of the podcast team? Let's just... No. 
if I remember correctly, you volunteered. You volunteered. Because we we put it out there and said, who's going to host? And you were like, uh, I mean, I'm the Asian one. I'm just saying, I'm putting it on you, friend. You you claimed yeah, this episode. I didn't episode. say it. You did. Guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. <laughs> that was a test. You guys passed. <laughs> what was the test in that? Oh, my gosh. Cultural competency and intelligence. Oh, my. Well, I took, to training. If- I took training with Sarah, so I am very culturally competent and intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> guys, a movie was made. Did you know, this was actually a surprise to me, that the story of Mulan is actually like a Chinese folk story. I thought it was a Disney movie in the 90s. I didn't really know that it predated that. Is it okay if I say Aaliyah and Marcos, right? This is a personal favorite of the two of you. Yeah. As far as animated Disney classics. Heck of, yeah. (laughs) Hands down, my most favorite Disney film. I don't know if it's my most favorite Disney film, but it's top three. So So I win. Sarah and Lauren, (laughs) where would you put it in your top kind of? Ten? 12? Top, top 10, top 12. I somehow missed it. I don't I, know where I yeah. was or what I was doing, but somehow it like, I it didn't Where were you in fake. 1998? That's when it came out. <laughs> yeah, I think, I don't know. I might have just not, I don't know. I missed I it I can somehow, quote so. every single line in that movie. I'm not Please don't, lie. because you do it every single time we watch it. <laughs> Maybe that's why it's number 12 for Lauren. She's like, oh my gosh. She's like, number 13, Marcos, it's going down. I can be the tiebreaker. Mulan's not really like a favorite of mine. So only. The first time I watched it was with you, Marcos. I think we were dating. You're like, and you were, I don't think I had ever, have ever seen it until we, we were dating. Earlier, I win. I took my date to go see Mulan. <laughs> we did not go to see it. You just showed it to no, me. No, I know. We weren't dating in 1998, but I'm saying our date night was Mulan. <laughs> That's fair. Check out this DVD I've got. <laughs> That's pretty much what it was. Fast forward to the year 2020 and Disney, as they've been doing for the last few years now, made a live action remake. And Aaliyah and Marcos, is it fair to say that the two of you were very excited oh, for yeah. this current release? I can tell you where I was standing when I saw the very first trailer. It, like it stood out in my mind when I saw the trailer. I had tears in my eyes. I was I totally so cried. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, we were together. We saw it together, and then yeah. it was wait 18 months, and then I got to see it. <laughs> Guys, we want to be a podcast about culture. We don't really want to be a podcast about movie reviews. So let's just expedite this process. Did you like the movie? Would you recommend it to folks? And then let's talk about everything else that's been buzzing around Mulan. Marco Celia, you've loved the movie since 1998 and the whole story of Mulan. How did this land with you? I guarded my heart for... <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so I had low expectations. Uh, very low expectations. And so it was okay. I gave it, I think I said I gave it a 75, you know, a C. Um, it was wow. entertaining. I didn't think it was a waste of time or anything, but I did not like it. I think the original was better. But there was, I could pick out things that I think were cool, just cinematically speaking. I could not have had a more opposite approach. I tore down the walls of my heart <laughs> and I was, I was nothing but like I had the highest expectations. I was ready to be wowed. I could not wait to watch it. And you made your heart very vulnerable. The walls, like I said, had been torn down. They're done. (laughs) And as soon as the movie ended, the first thing that I said to uh, David and our friend Laura that were here watching it, I said, I could not have been more disappointed with that film. 
It was kind of sad, guys, to be on the other side of the room. Mm. She mm. was disappointed. Mm. It was mm. obvious. So I would not recommend it. I say save your $30 and save your two hours of time. Give it a pass. And if you want to save $30, you can join the likes of Sarah mm-hmm. and others hashtag who are boycott. hashtag boycott Mulan. Sarah, do you want to tell us about your deep devotion to the movement of hashtag boycott Mulan? <laughs> My deep devotion. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, most of it was boycotting, wait, hashtag boycott $30, but then it turned into hashtag boycott. I do side with Hong Kong, Thailand, all those great great nations and places that have been oppressed. So it's a win-win for you. Yeah. You save $30 and you get to stand in solidarity with Yeah, and with then others. after the movie came out, even more reason to boycott them. And the movie's going to be free on Disney Plus I, in, in December. December. So which, I'll maybe like, watch it there. But honestly, again, after this movie came out, even more reason to maybe not support it. I was totally fine waiting just because I don't really care about Mulan. Um <laughs> Number 13 on your list. Number 13 on my list. And and like, I mean, it's cool, but I was not as enthralled by it, but as some other people in this group are. But, but we made a night out of it. We made a night. Yeah, exactly. We made a night out of it and it was fine and so be it. But if it wasn't for like, I don't know, I would have been fine waiting, but I also am not the world's biggest movie fan. So. So back to Boycott Mulan. Can we explore that a little bit? Well, I think we need to provide some context. Why Why is Boycott Mulan a thing? And so, I mean, you know, and, and anyone can jump in, but there was two, two things that happened, right? I think one leading up to the movie and then one after the movie was released. Leading up to the movie, the actress that plays Mulan, but the, the lead actress, she expressed a, a sentiment that was pro-Hong Kong police. And while that's been a controversy in Hong Kong, there's been some images released in social media and on the internet about Hong Kong police abusing of their power or exerting uh, abusive power towards Hong Kong citizens in, in the protests, as Hong Kong wants a democratic government and China does not. And so there was that part. We Someone can look up her tweet as well, so we could report it <laughs> accurately. But in the meantime, the other thing was, um, in the movie, there are several desert scenes, beautiful desert scenes. However, those uh, desert scenes in Mulan are filmed in a region of China that are known for having re-education camps for... Sarah, how do you pronounce uh, the type of... Muslim? Uyghur. I'm sorry? The people group, Uyghur, they're called yeah. the Uyghurs. Uyghur, yeah. Mm-hmm. The Uyghur Muslims in China. Some people call them concentration camps. I think China calls them officially re-education camps. Nevertheless, there are reports of genocidal type <laughs> activity on behalf of the Chinese government. And so the fact that the movie in the end credits thanked the agency in China that is responsible for mm-hmm. carrying out and running some of these re-education camps also brought outrage. I will add one thing that I saw that I thought that was impactful was someone estimated roughly based on the movie where the shots were taken and what road was possibly taken from the main city in that area to get to those spots where those shots were taken. And I think it was something like they would have had to pass six or seven camps on the way. So it's nothing that, you know, it's something that it's not, you know, the camp. I mean, it is a large region, to be fair. It is a very large region. But you can't say, well, you know, those camps are in one place. And then, you know, this other it's it's you would have had to like driven by them. So those are the two reasons why I think there was a movement to boycott the movie. I can share my thoughts, but I feel like I just talked a while. for. <laughs> so um, I don't know if anyone has any thoughts. For me, the boycott Mulan thing was interesting because I saw it kind of named, well, the Hong Kong thing made sense, but then it started getting grouped in with Thailand and Taiwan, kind of these pro-democracy 
protesters. But what I loved about it was they like hashtag, they called it hashtag milk tea alliance, which I thought was kind of clever. Yeah, oh, I saw right. that. that yeah, milk I tea did. alliance. Yeah, I yeah. thought that was super clever. But really, after then reading about possibly the Disney's support of that region and the the government in that region. That's what made me kind of upset because I did, I have, I have worked with the Uyghur people and like just thinking through, like, I think that's what's so crazy is there's things going on in this world. There's tons of stuff that's going on in this world that we don't know or that we aren't fully aware of what's going on. But like, I feel like this is something that we kind of know is going on, but you feel very helpless and you really don't really know what it is, but you have a sense of what it is. But regardless, you should never be rounding up people of a certain religious background or a certain ethnic group and putting them places. Like, I don't see how that is a good thing regardless. So mm-hmm. my stance on Boycott Mulan stands. Yeah. Right. I've seen some people call it what's happening in, in China with the Uyghur people, biggest humanitarian crisis mm-hmm. that no yep. one knows about. Mm-hmm. And here we are because of hashtag Boycott Mulan talking about it. So I think it's interesting. I probably am like you, Marcos, in like a threshold because we talk about culture and so many different things. Part of me is observing this happening. And I'm wondering now, I think like to Sarah's point, collecting people because of ethnicity or cultural reasons, that's just bad. You know, the Hong Kong police stuff and the actress making a comment that's pro-police when the majority of folks, you know, are speaking out against that. Part of me kind of takes a step back and observes that and wonders, like, am I too far away to hold a position on some of this stuff, right? Right. Like, we're talking world, global culture and politics and, like, socio-cultural dynamics. And to me, it is kind of, well, one, like, part of me wonders, me, David, in Washington, D.C., watching Mulan, not watching Mulan, does that really tip the scales on some of this stuff? But I think it is also too easy for either side for folks to make a quick judgment because it's just so far away, right? And that's just something I observe. Again, I'm not saying this to to downplay what's happening in China right now or to say that hashtag boycott Mulan is unnecessary. I think it is really cool, like you said, Sarah, that the the Milk Tea Alliance, that other places of the world are kind of joining in this cause. But that was just my thoughts kind of from however many thousand miles away wondering like, oh, this is interesting the way it's made it to me. I will say Amnesty International and the United Nations Human Rights Office, not the United Nations, but the Human Rights, have condemned the police's actions in the protest. So th- there is a bit of a global standard in a way for that. And I just want to go on record that, yes, I agree with those um, stands. I've seen some of the videos I've seen right from my limited perspective, right? I am not from Hong Kong. I'm not a police officer in Hong Kong. Like, right. Like, so, but from my perspective, based on the, what I've seen, I think that I get that. Again, I think that there is a conversation to be had about like, how much can someone separate the personal convictions of a, of an actor and the whole movie. Like the movie wasn't about democracy and communism or police brutality or protests. And there's hundreds, if not thousands of people behind that movie, right? And so for me, sometimes to say that like the words of one person that's involved, granted she is the main character, but the words of one person completely negates the work that has gone out to produce that entire piece of work. Everything from set designers, costume designers, actors, marketing people, you know what I mean? Like, like just people that are learning their living by doing this. I personally can separate that 
because I know what goes into this. For me, the movie is not just a decision made by a corporation to make something, but it's a lot of people that are employed, a lot of people that... So for me, that's, for me personally, it didn't hold me back from watching the movie, although it did bring attention to the issue and for me to do something about the issue. And rather than, for me, Boycott Mulan because of that, like... I want to give to organizations that are helping the Uyghur. I want to mm-hmm. be more aware about issues of police brutality and issues of democracy. And, and and when there's an outcry from the people, I don't know for me how not watching a movie does that. I think there's other ways to do that. Well, you know? I don't think it's even about not watching the movie, but I think it does like because we live in like such a digital global world, like even just hashtagging something and putting it on social media, like they may have gone and seen it and like, like, yeah, it's not going to necessarily do anything, but just even that, those words, I feel like that created something, you know, whether or not they watch it or not, but it really is like that movement movements are able to be movements now because they can go so wide and, and so far now, which is kind of cool. That's true. No, that's a very good point. There are a lot of things circling around this Mulan movie. One thing that came to mind for me, and I saw some commentary around this, it's a slightly lighter subject, but it's not necessarily light. The idea of representation in film and TV because of Mulan, this is Asian representation, but minority representation in film, TV. Once again, as the group's resident Asian American, I don't know if Mulan really meant something to me as far as representation for multiple reasons. One, I'm not a female warrior, so that (laughs) storyline of female empowerment wasn't necessarily tugging at my heartstrings. Neither am I Chinese. So the fact that it's a very Chinese movie, while they are Asian folks, it uh, did not necessarily resonate with me. This whole thing has been debated and discussed. I'm curious your guys' thoughts. Again, Mulan is one of the few non-white Disney princesses. But one of the reasons I don't like the 98 film, the animated one, is there's a lot of like Asian caricatures to it. To me, it's a little cringy. It's not necessarily the most heartwarming of representations. Now, this film I thought was, you know, not that. But yeah, guys, thoughts? Representation in film? Asian representation in film? My thought was that there's at the very least a, a missed opportunity in the fact that it's great that there's an all-Asian cast, as it should be, right? It's a Chinese story, and it would have been really weird if Mulan was white, right? Or if Mulan was black, or if Mulan was Latino, right? Like, knowing that there's talented Chinese actors. But then I found out the director and the costume designer and the writer, too, I think. Forget yeah, some, some of, the, of the writers. We're not Asian, and so perhaps some of the disconnect that I felt in the movie was there. While it was stunningly visual, like like... I'm like, man, like, why wouldn't you get a Chinese costume designer? Like that for me just kind of felt like so weird. So I I don't know. (laughs) Like, I feel like that would have been easy (laughs) to find (laughs) it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, it seemed like it was marketed as a Chinese story told by Chinese storytellers played by Chinese actors. But to your point, Marcos, they're not really Chinese storytellers. I think the director is from New Zealand. And I would say that it was a Chinese story told by an American media company. That's yeah. what I assumed it was. Anytime you attach Disney to it, I think white. So for me, it was just the Chinese story of Mulan told by Disney. So knowing those two pieces, I was not expecting some picture perfect film of representation and that. 
So I don't know. I guess like my that's actually a good point. My thoughts were tempered. I guess going in, I was like, okay, this is going to be a this is a movie about a Chinese myth, story, legend. I don't know how much truth there is in there to the actual story of Mulan, but in a Disneyfied version. So I wasn't expecting a complete Asian telling of it. Wouldn't you agree that like with the way that they changed Mulan a little bit with this, like they didn't have some of the characters, they didn't have the music. It almost was like they were not Disney. I mean, yes, as the company producing it, but like, I feel like the way that they trailered it, the way that they kind of presented it was like this power Asian movie rather than, oh, it's a Disney remake. That's how I saw it. I mean, I don't know if... Because they took away the music and they took away some of the like cliche things to some extent. I don't know. I felt like they struggled to target their audience Mm -hmm. because at times I felt like I was watching a child, like a children's film or a family film. And then at other times I felt like there were some really dark or more complex concepts that I was watching on screen. And so I, I was confused with, first of all, like, wait, what age group, what demographic really are we trying to reach with this? We, I mean, Disney, um, (laughs) I am in no way affiliated or associated with Disney. This podcast is not sponsored, but that was a question that I asked myself or that I felt as I was watching it. I think the other thing is our world is becoming increasingly globalized. And so I wonder how much of that goes into, I mean, it it affects the film industry, right? So even as Disney is creating this film, I would imagine that they pay people a lot of money to think through a globalized lens of how can this film check the most boxes so that more people will see the film, will like the film, will associate with the film. And so for just as much as I wasn't sure if it like the age range of the target audience, I also wasn't sure like really the demographic of person that Disney was trying to reach with this film. Right. Like art that's made in culture maybe doesn't translate to other cultural audiences. I read an article about how they hoped it would be successful in China. And Marcos, you and I have had a handful of conversations about this dynamic, which is maybe another podcast episode for another day. But increasingly, Hollywood movie studios are trying to make films that are appeasing to an international audience because, never forget, folks, they're trying to sell tickets and they're yeah, trying to a, make know, they're money. profitable, right? Like they want something that's profitable. So one of the things I read about some of the test audiences that they showed this Mulan movie to in China I read a, an article about how they, they removed a kiss scene because the Chinese audience said like, oh no, that's like, if you want it to be more appealing to a Chinese audience, take that scene out like at the end of the movie. So there's, there's no kissing. That's a perfect example of culture and why these conversations are really interesting, right? Because like, you know, it's, it's hard to create something that checks all the boxes in multiple cultures. It just yeah. is because there are such thing as culture clash. Whereas like one culture may look at something like a kiss as a, a value of not conservatism, of modesty, sorry, of, of modesty. Another culture might view it as a value of I want to have the kiss because it's a value of sexual liberation. And so it's hard, like that. the more increasingly global that we become, we can't forget that there's still driving cultures that drive our feelings and what we think is right and wrong and what we think is appropriate and not. And it'll be really interesting to see how like corporations like Disney who want to please a Chinese audience, but also an American audience do that when Chinese culture and American culture are very different. 
they're just very. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you, Marcos. I think it is very hard. I do think that it is easier when you have people in leadership and when you have people in power that represent diversity. So right. I, again, do not work for Disney. So I don't know what their upper management or leadership looks like, especially on this film. But as we already discussed, it seems like the writer, director, costume designer, like all of these people are not Asian or Asian American. And so that in and of itself gives power to storytelling and even like representation or cultural appropriation, like that type of dynamic when you don't have people calling the shots and making decisions and sharing what they think something should look like. Well, that's when it becomes increasingly difficult. I don't know if we want to get into this, but as a group, are we telling our listeners, just go ahead and skip Mulan to kind of where we're at with it's the movie? It's going to be a hard pass for me. Yeah. Maybe if you're sitting around in December and you still have Disney Plus and it's free, just put it on. But on really, break, have nothing else to do. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's a movie. It's a movie, right? And so it was good. If you're doing nothing December 3rd and want to watch it, if it was on again, I'd watch it. It was a movie. You partially own it now, so you can watch it as many times that's as you true. want because you spent 30 bucks. Oh, that's true. I would that's close my true. eyes, plug my ears, and hum to myself so oh. that I didn't have to waste two hours. Yeah, right. You're just going to play the old animated kidding. one and just watch it over and over. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I like the original better. And I mean, also like Lee Shang was Donnie Osmond and Mushu the Dragon was Eddie Murphy. And yeah. right. Like there's, I liked that movie a lot. <laughs> so. Interesting to think about. Do you like that movie because you were exposed to it as a child? That's fair. That's a fair question. I mean, I, so, I don't know. I wouldn't be able exactly. to say, right? We don't know because we grew up with these movies in their cartoon form as children. So does that mean that your perception of the live action remakes is skewed because you have a cartoon version held in such high esteem or low esteem in your head? For me, I liked Mulan. I thought it was pretty decent because I've only seen Mulan once minus the 15,000 times we've watched the clips of all the songs in our house now. <laughs> but I thought it was a pretty good film as a standalone because I was not comparing it to the cartoon as much. Truth be told, because I didn't love the cartoon, I actually didn't mind this live action. I was like, oh, that was good. And then I looked to Aaliyah and she was so disappointed. It's <laughs> like, oh, I didn't think it was that bad. <laughs> If you've made it this far, thank you for listening to another episode of Cross Culture-ish. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 See you later.